0: In chapter 2, we read about how Jesus um, did great things for us. And so chapter 3 starts with, Therefore, holy brothers, who share the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future that Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast so as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion Uh, during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first and has just been said today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion who were they who heard and rebelled were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if it was not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter the rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of the disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him to whom we must give account.
1: I never knew Tim Barron had such well-sculpted calves, but there you go. <laughs> you don't have calves. <laughs> there are some things you do in life that you would never do again. Ten years ago, I ran a marathon. Uh, things started well. I was young, fit, and for the first 20 kilometers, I passed a multitude of 50-year-old men who were slowly shuffling along and I felt pretty good about myself. Until about the last 10 kilometers, there was this fella in front of me who was walking and then running and then walking and then running. And I couldn't help but think that he wasn't getting any closer. And over time, those men in their 50s and 60s I looked down upon before, I watched them slowly shuffle by. <laughs> They say that the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon. I spend most of my week with uni students who think that the Christian life is a sprint. They're running the first 20 kilometers of a marathon. But life in your 30s is different to life in your 20s. Life in your 40s is different to life in your 30s. And that's different to life in your 50s. And it can get to the point where it feels like just putting one foot in front of the other in the Christian life is ambitious enough. And it's in this context, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to keep going. But the question is how? If you look at your Bibles, 3 verse 6 we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we have glory. 3.14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. We have all the blessings in Christ if we keep going. And one of the questions we're wrestling with in the book of Hebrews is How? How are we going to finish the race? When it feels like you're in the last 10 kilometers and suddenly there's an uphill slope, how are we going to keep going? The writer of Hebrews begins by calling us to consider Jesus. Uh, That's the first part of chapter 3. He gives us a warning. That's the second half of chapter 3. And we finish with a reminder Of God's promises in chapter 4. And so let's begin by considering Christ. It's there in verse 1. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Now, it's worth wondering, why does Moses come up here? If you think back to Exodus, when Israel wanted the desert and complained, Moses spoke on their behalf. When Israel turned to worship the golden calf, Moses stepped in on their behalf. Moses was the faithful servant that Israel needed. And yet, verse 3, have a look, Jesus was found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Now, what do you think of when you see this picture? I think of Tim Barron's calves. But apart from that, when you see this picture, what do you think of? You could look at it and you could wonder at the building. You could wonder at how all the arches are exactly the same size. Or if you're like me, you could think, wow, weren't the Romans master builders? Or this picture, what do you think of? You could think, wow, isn't the triangle a terrific shape? Or more likely, you're going to think, how on earth did the Egyptians manage to do that? That is, the glory of a building only amplifies the glory of the builder. And verse 4, the builder of all things is God. And Jesus is faithful, not as a servant, but as God's son, He's not the butler. He's the son who can say that my father built this place. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that when you reach the 20-kilometer mark, when your lungs are burning and you don't know how the Christian race will finish, we know that Jesus, God's son, has run the race before us. And as he ran, the son himself was faithful. Uh, sometimes when we consider Jesus, uh, it's easy to wonder how God can empathize. Uh, he's up there, I'm down here, and it's like a king who doesn't know what it's like to be a commoner. But the point of Hebrews is that he does. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, verse 17, he has to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest in the service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's saying that Jesus knows what it's like. And so consider Jesus. Okay, we've reached the 30-kilometer mark. We're considering Jesus but we're tempted still to give up. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a warning. And we have a quote from Psalm 95. Have a look at verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. The psalmist here is using Israel wandering in the desert as an example for us. The generation of the Exodus, he's saying, don't be like them. Uh, I wonder sometimes if we think that we need something special from God to supercharge our faith. And if we have that something special, that will help me to keep going. But have a look at verse 16. Who was it that rebelled and didn't make the promised land? Verse sixteen, who were those who heard and rebelled? Were they not? Or were, were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter into His rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. If you need, if you think you need something to supercharge your faith. Imagine if you were part of the Exodus. Imagine you saw the plagues God put on Egypt. Imagine you saw the Red Sea part. Surely that will give you an unwavering faith. But that's precisely the point here. The generation that rebelled saw all those things and they didn't make it. Why? Because regardless of what they saw, verse 13, they were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The thing that will make you lose your confidence is sin. The greatest threat to the church is sin. The greatest threat to our marriages is sin. The greatest threat that will make us give up is sin. Uh, I look back at my friends who followed Jesus in their youth and they no longer do so. Why did they turn away? It largely wasn't intellectual, but largely it was to do with the heart, and it was to do with sin. Sin is deceitful. It's looking at the fruit and saying that, if I eat of this, I will be like God. Sin tells us that God did part the Red Sea, but he won't provide in the wilderness. Sin tells us this life is hard and life is better without God. And Hebrews is saying, if that's you, do not harden your hearts and heed the warning of Israel. On the positive, verse 13, he encourages us to exhort one another. The greatest antidote to falling away is actually each other. It's actually speaking the word of God to one another. When you're 30 kilometers into the race and you get to a Sunday morning and the thought of getting your kids in the car and coming to church is absolutely exhausting, Hebrews is saying that church is better than anything else you can be doing. When Bible study is at night and sometimes it feels like it's not the most exciting night in the world and I'm sure that's not new life. I'm just speaking of my own personal experiences. Hebrews is saying that Bible study is better than anything else in the week. When your kids don't want to go to youth group, youth group is better than anything else in the week. Because they are the times we speak God's word to one another. When you reach the 30-kilometer mark, you don't need someone to come up to you and say, don't worry about finishing, take a break. I know there's a place just around the back with air conditioning and a place to lie down. We actually need other runners running with us who are saying, press on, keep going. And we have here that warning. Listen to God and keep going. And we finish with a promise. And it's chapter four, four verse one. The promise of entering his rest still stands Uh, What do you think of when the word rest comes up? I think of this. That could be you. Or maybe you think a little bit more like this. It's quite ideal, isn't it? I think one of the hardest things about moving to Canberra is the lack of a beach. They've built a beach outside my place in Lake Burley Griffin. But when you walk by, you go, it's not quite a beach, But the picture of rest in God's word is much more than that. Have a look at verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. What picture do we have when God rested on the seventh day? It's one where it's good. It's humanity enjoying life with God. It's enjoying life in God's creation a world that's not tainted by sin, that's God's rest. In the Old Testament, it's caught up with the blessings of land. Israel, when they left Egypt, were promised rest, no enemies with God in their own land, flowing with milk and honey. But 4 verse 6, the generation who rebelled in the wilderness, they never experienced this rest. They never saw the land. And even those who did enter the land didn't really see this harmonious picture of rest. It's a little bit complicated, but see if we can follow the argument from verse 7, from 4 verse 7. God again said a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later of another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his works, just as God did from his. He's saying that even the Israelites who entered the promised land, if that was was entering God's final rest, then David, centuries later, wouldn't say that the rest is still to come whatever Israel experienced, that wasn't God's final rest. If that's confusing, I have here a timeline. Oh, oh, what happened there to that timeline? Something messy happened. Okay. Well, I did a science degree and not an arts degree, and I'm pretty sure the creator of this timeline won't have more glory than the picture itself. I think it's been doubled on. See if you can just follow the bottom half, Okay. So if you can imagine up there on, on your left, God's creation rest, and that's a top line that goes all the way across, okay? If you see here, uh, God's, the Exodus rest when they tried to enter the land, just on the bottom, they didn't make it there, okay? But if you get to David, uh, David is saying that the Exodus people didn't enter God's rest. There's still a day called today where you can heed God's word and enter God's final rest, And for us, that day is actually with Jesus and it's through faith by which we enter God's rest. And so what David is saying is that that day called today is still open to us and we can enter it through faith in Jesus. The promise of rest to Israel still stands for us today. And so verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. It's like you're in the last five kilometers. You've considered Jesus. You've ignored the people who have told you to stop running. And Hebrews is saying, keep going. The promise still stands. It's worth it. There will be nothing better than crossing the finish line which actually brings us to the last part of today's passage, and it's 4 verse 12. Uh, it's a famous verse. When I walk into my in-law's place, there's, I'm sure there's a calendar somewhere, and on it is 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What I want you to wrestle with is this question. How do these famous verses fit into what the author of Hebrews is talking about? Uh, When we read the Bible, it's important that we don't just understand what the verse is saying. But it's worth thinking about, how does it fit into the whole? How does it fit into the argument of the book? So one thing we do at Focus is that we get people to talk to the people around them to actually understand the passage And uh, I want you guys to see how you go with this. Okay, here's the question that I have coming up. Uh, It's almost like if you took verses 12 to 13 out of this passage, the point still stands. Consider Jesus, heed the warning, know God's promise, but why does he finish with these famous verses? And so chat to the person next to you, it's not a rhetorical question, how do verses 12 to 13 fit into the argument of chapters 3 and 4, okay? Okay. Two to three minutes, turn to the people around you and it'll be good to hear a couple of answers from the floor. All right, it'll be good to hear a few answers from the floor. Put your hands up if you have a thought, or if you thought your neighbor had an interesting thought and answer. I know about three people in the room, and so if no one answers, if you're one of those three, you should be a little bit fearful <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, Carolyn. Carolyn. Yeah, that's so helpful, isn't it? It lives forever. It's living and active. We have it now, we'll always have it with us. Yeah, great answer. Other thoughts? Yeah, Tom. Man, it's the people I know already answering. Yeah. So the whole passage, you'd be thinking about hearing his voice and so the word of god being living and active is really important because that's God's voice speaking other thoughts yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's terrific, yep, yep. So how do you keep going? It's the word of God, and how does it keep you? It's living and active, it's drawing you back. Yep, oh, that's terrific. See, that's why it's good to have one another. You actually, as you go to Bible study, as you go to youth group, as you wrestle with God's word, you actually come to understand it yourselves. Um, And so it's actually good to keep doing that. Um, If you look at verse 12, it starts with the word for. And for is a reason word. It gives the reason for the verse before. And what's on view in verse 11 is disobedience. Why is it that when you disobey, you will fall? It's because God's word is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. It's that sense that when I walk into a dark room and I say, let there be light, it remains dark. (laughs) But when God speaks, the world is created. When I tell my nephews and nieces, no, you cannot have ice cream. Tell you what, they go to the freezer anyway and ignore me. But when God says no, a generation is forbidden entry into the promised land. When God speaks, there's no hiding. When we disobey, we won't escape. When we sin, we think that no one knows, but God knows. And so if we disobey, we will fall. And on that day that God judges us all, His Word will pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discern even the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so today, if you hear His voice, His Word, do not harden your hearts. And his word is saying, keep going. The Christian life may be exhausting, but God is saying, don't give up. Stay away from sin. Hold to his promise, and it's worth it. The way God keeps his people is through his voice. You know that feeling that when we want to sin and turn away? There's that conviction that says, don't. We know it's a bad idea. The way God keeps his people is through many course corrections in life. That as we turn away, we hear his voice that says, come back. In those moments, it's so easy to harden our hearts. Over the last few years, I walked alongside one of my closest friends as he watched his wife walk away from the faith. Over the years we spoke many times uh, and often those conversations were filled with tears. He wouldn't say that he woke up one day and decided he wasn't going to follow Jesus. It was a small decision It was the little course corrections where instead of coming back to Jesus, the heart was hardened to the point where it was too late. When she left, it was actually God's wake-up call for him. And in one sense, it was a harsh mercy for him. Because of that, his soul was preserved. I thought Michael read the Bible so terrifically today, Did you notice where he paused and repeated, do not harden your hearts? If you're feeling the weight of sin this morning, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, don't ignore it. Come back. Come back to him. And God will welcome you back with open arms. Let's finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do welcome us back, that you give us the promise of entering the rest. So help us heed the warning of these chapters to not take sin lightly, to exhort one another with your word, and to keep coming back to you in all of life. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.